You're listening to the Dogaritaville Podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Lily. We are two dog professionals with two different styles, two different backgrounds, and two common goals. To drink delicious margaritas and talk about dogs. Welcome to Dogaritaville. Welcome to episode 27 of the Dogaritaville podcast. Today we are drinking guava-themed margaritas and talking about leash work. For every episode, we pick a theme for our margaritas and each do our own take on it. We post the recipes on Instagram for you to try. We're always looking for new ideas, so let us know if you have an idea for an episode or a margarita theme. So we had our first, right? That was our first yappy hour. When did it come out? Last week? Yeah. I guess it's not ours. Lily's <laughs> Lily's first yappy hour came out last week, and we had a question on Instagram about it from the Patch Pups. Do you know them? Yeah, her name's Caitlin. Okay. I was like, they're doodles, so I just assumed that you know them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the little one is, but she has like a little tiny like toy looking dog, and then she has a dog from Bungie Doodles. Oh, okay. I just looked at her profile pic and it looked like two fluffy dogs. So I was like, oh, doodle. Uh, (laughs) But she brought up a really good point on the comments and said that she, I wanted to hear your views because he mentioned the prong and how his dog associates it as a positive. I was wondering what your feelings were with that. I know it's a super diverse topic. I love that question. I was so excited. You know how I love Q&As. And I really liked Yappy Hour, too. I still don't want to do it, but I really like listening to it. (laughs) I really liked it, too. I thought it was good. Um, So when Brett and I were recording, I wasn't totally sure what the purpose of the prong collar was. And I didn't ask him because that's not what the episode was about. And I wanted to be, like, courteous of his time. Um, But my guess was that he wanted to help change his dog's emotional state. And sometimes that's easier to do if you change their situation so if nala is used to getting leashed up in a certain way and that's what she associates with that the attack that she went through then it will be easier to change her state of mind if he starts leashing her up in a different way and then conditions that new way of leashing her up to mean that like good things are going to happen and i texted brett to make sure that i understood him correctly and he said yes he wants to condition a way of leashing her up that will trigger dopamine or the anticipation of something good and the reason that he picked a prong collar was he believes it's the safest for his dog if she does get scared and tries to run off because she can slip out of a harness and then a flat collar or a martingale would damage her trachea more than a prong in his estimation so the prong is his emergency safety tool for him and his dog and then overall like most um primarily he's trying to leash her up differently to get her expecting good things sorry i'm trying to process that my brain is not on today (laughs) (laughs) we have that in common oh my gosh oh my goodness i literally i had a 10 a.m so mondays are my long days and then i for some reason booked a new client at 10 a.m today and i'm like fuck dude i had to wake up early after my (laughs) longest day and then uh and it was a really good client it was cool but i came home and i have not left my bed since (laughs) (laughs) So I still don't get why he's, he, that's just his collar of choice. He's not. Yeah. Okay. So he's not using the prong to achieve anything other than that's just his choice. Okay. That's where I was confused. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the best things about dogs is that they're animals (laughs) Uh, and you can convince them of literally anything. Uh, If you get excited, they get excited. It doesn't matter what it's about. They don't know what it's about. (laughs) Like. Doobie thinks that his bark collar is positive, even though it's absolutely not. But because every time I put the bark collar on him, he gets a treat. He now gets excited when he sees the bark collar. I didn't do that on purpose. He just gets a treat when I leave. (laughs) Right. Obviously, the bark collar is not a positive. It's very much an aversive. But he doesn't register that. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure he does when it goes off. But But, I mean, that's kind of what desensitization is, right? Pair something that they don't like with something that they love, and it starts to change their feelings about it, right? Yeah, and and it's interesting that you say that because this is where you come into the, the trickiness of, like, it's just about the dog. Because there are plenty of dogs who would who would maybe start to associate that treat with something bad because you leave after the treat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, like, it's not always that 
Um, a prong collar is going to be aversive for your dog or a bark collar. And it's also not always that food is going to be positive for your dog. It all depends on how they feel about it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, Doobie loves his prong collar because he knows that means we're going out. I mean, I feel like that's most dogs in prongs. Uh, every once in a while, I'll meet a dog that, like, cowers away from their prong, but not very often, and it's super easy to fix it if they do. Peter's another good example because he uh, actually hates harnesses. He wears one, but he hates it <laughs> because it takes so much contact to put on. Like, it has to go over his head, or I have to touch his chest, and that's just too much contact for him. <laughs> He doesn't like the martingale very, or he doesn't like any collar really either, just because again, it has to go over his head. But he likes them a hell of a lot better than the harnesses that require me to touch them all over. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, every dog is different. Just because a prong is an aversive doesn't mean the dog thinks it's an aversive, right? Yeah. And I mean, of course, there's all of the like, what are your goals with it, right? Like if your goal is to um, get your dog to stop doing something by popping the prong, then, you know, by definition, it becomes a punishment. But I, I don't know. We, we could get we could get into so much stuff here. Yeah. It really just depends <laughs> on how you condition it and how your dog receives that conditioning. Yeah, I mean, I, I think 99% of the time people are using prongs to stop pulling, right? And in that case, yes, it's absolutely yeah. aversive. That doesn't mean that you can't get them to feel positively about it. Like, you can still just reward them every time it goes on and done. Well, (laughs) every time it goes on, um, you go on a walk, and the only thing that you're doing to stop them from bullying is literally just put the prong collar on them. Like, they probably don't even notice that it's there, you know? Like, like if a dog wants to pull, they'll, they'll pull through anything. So if you're not, like, popping it and actually seeing a decrease in that behavior, they honestly probably don't give two shits about it. I had a client, so I use prongs not very often, but I do use them, and I uh, i guess I can't say not very often, but regardless, I use them, I don't not like them, but I had a client who I didn't put her in a prong, she was in a prong before they hired me, and they said she pulled through it so hard, she got, she stabbed her, like she got um, punctures all around her neck. Oh my god. Because she would pull so hard straight through it. Jesus Christ. I was like, holy shit, so then I tried her in a gentle leader. And I thought she was going to kill herself. She'll pull through anything. Like, we had her on a front clip harness, a back clip harness, a slip lead. Like, nothing stopped this dog. It was crazy. Uh, But, yeah, I've never heard of a dog actually. I mean, there's always stuff about, like, oh, prongs will stab them in the neck. But I've never actually met anybody that that happened to. (laughs) Yeah. Obviously, they stopped using it immediately. That goes without saying. But, like, that just blew my mind a little bit. That's insane. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, right. Um, But yeah, to more directly answer your question, anything can be positive. I mean, we could go into the philosophical debate of it's still not positive. But but yeah, you can your dog's going to think anything is positive if you teach them that appropriately. Yeah. So there you go. There you have it. I was listening to the new episode today. (laughs) I want to start playing a drinking game in the fourth a segment for every time I said and stuff like that (laughs) I'm pretty sure I said it like six times in a span of five minutes it was there was one time that it happened like three times in the same sentence yes (laughs) that's how you know I'm drunk (laughs) and like I mean we've gotten a lot more liberal with our swearing in general but like there was an (laughs) excess of the word fuck in that segment as well like every other word was like and fucking this and fuck that Again, that's how you know I'm drunk. <laughs> I do. Well, it's funny that you say that, though, because I remember when we first started the podcast. I remember, like, it was seven years ago. Um, <laughs> and all of my friends were like, Is she not going to let you swear? Because that's not you. <laughs> well, I remember, like, talking about it, too, because we both kind of just, like, swear a lot. But we were like, like what's what's appropriate for a podcast and we started out trying to like limit it and then I think by like literally the second episode we were like we can't do this anymore and we just like (laughs) just like let it come right back in (laughs) I think we made it to like episode three or four it wasn't too I mean we still we Uh, we swear on every episode don't get me wrong but I feel like we didn't fully let it go until (laughs) episode two was like you're throwing a fucking towel at your dog. I remember that. <laughs> oh, yes. Boppers are the exception to the rule. Every time. Every time. 
but anyway yeah no um <laughs> that's just gonna happen and i've been kind of wondering like as we get more unfiltered like are we gonna lose people but like we just keep gaining people so you know yeah buddy keep it going you know all right easy 10 minute segment not gonna be eight hours long last time like last time i don't know <laughs> yeah the last two that we recorded were like three hours it ended up only being an hour and nine minutes i mean i know it took a lot of editing but <laughs> the episode didn't the tree end up pouch being... for this week is uh extensive <laughs> <laughs> and that's why i don't ever look at patreon uh. <laughs> Okay, so that is our Q&A, and FYI, for anyone who was like, I saw that comment, there was more to it. Yeah, you're right. That's coming in segment four. <laughs> I hope um, someone's so don't that neurotic about, about us. <laughs> I hope so, too. I hope we have, like, that big of a fan. Um, that is definitely inaccurate. <laughs> uh, everyone's like, what the fuck? Um, so don't worry, we will be addressing the second half of, of her question as well. And we're going to take a break here. When we get back, we're going to start talking about leash training. Margarita check. How did you make your guava themed margarita? I was really boring. <laughs> also, can I just say what a fucking saga guava was? I had to go to, (laughs) I went to three fucking stores and halfway through the second one, I was like, fuck you. I'm doing a lime margarita. (laughs) But then I still went to the third store and they had literally the third store had one can. That was it. Um, So I doubled mine because my favorite glass is now ginormous. So (laughs) it's four ounces of tequila, two ounces of triple sec two juiced limes and uh i did the full can which was like 11.5 ounces of guava nectar and it's good it's not really for me i feel like this is a very you beverage uh because it's it's super tart sure it kind of reminds me of grapefruit a little bit not that tart but still uh it's good it's tasty it's not really my style it's not my vibe as usual, it looks like you were very extra about it. <laughs> uh, you know, I just like to call it doing the assignment. I mean, some days I don't. Some days I just show up and I'm like, you know what? I put something blue in it. Just get over it. But um, that's me today. I went to but three. Today I-, I went to three fucking stores, and that's all you're getting out of me. Uh, So it was a little bit of a saga for me, too. Not quite that much. But um, I started out at my local grocery store and I had two experiences today where I knew that I was like standing in one spot and looking for something. And there was a person working nearby and I was like, they're going to come fucking talk to me. And I hate that. Um, But both times they were just like the most helpful people. And so I'm glad that they did. But um my social anxiety was like, please don't, don't come over here. Don't come over here. Just let me look. <laughs> um, but the first guy came over. I forget sometimes because you're so much more social comparatively, which is not hard to do, but I forget <laughs> sometimes that you are also not social. <laughs> and it just makes me really happy whenever I get reminded of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely the social one of the two of us, yeah, but which, um, I mean, still not social. <laughs> A cactus is more social than me, so not really that hard. True. True. Uh, But the first guy, you know, came up and was like, can I help you find something? And I was like, I'm looking for guava flavored things. Um, And he was like, okay, well, I don't think that we have anything here, but there's a brand new Total Wine and More um, that just opened up and nearby. And I didn't know that. So that was very helpful. I was like, great, I'm going to go to Total Wine more. And then the same thing happened where I was like standing, looking, and then there was a guy and I was like, he's going to come talk to me. And he did. And I was like, I'm looking for guava flavored things. And um, he got out this like little iPad and just typed in guava and was like, okay, I can get you guava this, guava this, guava this. And I ended up deciding on guava rum. He walked me right to it and I was gone in five minutes. Wow. Um, so that's my guava saga. <laughs> Can I just say that I got uh, like uh, one of their point cards, Total Wine and More, as soon as we started the podcast, and they think I live there now because every two weeks I'm like always in there getting weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what I ended up doing was two juiced limes, three ounces of tequila, one and a half ounces of the guava rum. And then um, when I was leaving the first grocery store, I was like, well, just in case the next place doesn't have guava, I just got um, one of those naked juices. Yeah, those are bomb. That was called um, tropical guava. So I was like, I'll just, you know, use this. But I ended up putting in a splash of that just to sweeten it a little bit. Um, and then I shook it with ice, poured it over crushed ice, and then I floated pineapple juice on top and did a lime wheel garnish. It's very pretty and it's very yummy. So fancy. Will you send me the photo? Yeah. So that I can right lose now. it by the time I do the graphic and ask you for it again. Of course. <laughs> uh, you like it a lot? A little? Oh, I forgot. We're trying to rate things now. I forgot our rating system. Uh, shot glasses, right? Sure. Ten shot glasses. I'm going to give this a five out of ten. Oh, it is pretty. You know, I think, I think that I'd give mine something similar. Maybe five or six. Because it's not so different from a classic margarita. It's, that's um, That was the first thing I thought when I took a sip. I was like, this kind of just tastes like a lime margarita. Yeah. The guava's pretty subtle. But earlier today, when I first brought home my guava rum, I made myself a guava rum and pineapple juice. And that was very yummy. That I can get behind 100% for sure. Okay. Lily's so leash episode, work. <laughs> This episode is about leash work, and we couldn't figure out how to segment it up, so we just went with, <laughs> I'm going to talk about how I do it, and then Laura's going to talk about how she does it. We're both very tired. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Also, I don't know if I've ever had like a harder time making an outline. It was very difficult because like, I don't, I just, I meet the dog and I figure out their things and then I go off of what they do. So to just have like a generic leash work I don't it's very difficult and especially to put it in writing like step by step is also very difficult yeah that was difficult but I also knew that I would need it because I can't just riff on what I do I would get totally lost because again it's like different every time so I knew I would need to write it down but then writing it down ended up being hard yeah it's a whole thing so I'm just gonna just gonna go through it here So we've mentioned this in a previous episode. It always, almost always looks different depending on the dog and depending on the client, how we do leash work. So I'm going to try to be as coherent as possible, but no promises. Um, So my go-to method for leash work is to start indoors with minimal distractions and work on teaching foundations. And my favorite thing to teach is what to do when the dog feels pressure on the leash. Because if you just try taking your dog outside for the first time on a walk. Everything's so exciting. Your dog wants to get to everything and they want to move faster than you're moving. And so what makes the most sense to them is to just like struggle and fight and pull against everything holding them back so that they can get to what they want to get to. And they're, you know, dogs are only ever doing what pays off for them. So it's ridiculously easy to teach them immediately that pulling pays off because it gets them where they want to go. So they think that that's how a walk works. So before we ever get out the door, I want to show them that it actually does pay off to respond to leash pressure differently than that. What are you doing? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The audacity is so weird. It's acting like it's picking up the fan, but it's literally not possible that it's picking up the fan. The lines are just weird. Like, I know my voice is okay. Those lines are fine. But the baseline is like little squiggles. And I'm moving it like as far away from the fan as possible. And it doesn't change at all. Weird. Sorry, I'll stop freaking out about it, though. <laughs> no, <you're> okay. <laughs> um, so I, I want to teach the dog that it pays off to actually follow that leash pressure rather than work against it. And so just like anything else, I teach the dog with minimal distractions and slowly build up the difficulty until we're ready to do that outside. And then I also like to teach some really easy behaviors that will help me regain the dog's attention and kind of reset them if they're having a hard time focusing. So like touch is one I've been using a lot lately. Um, Heal, I've just recently started teaching heal. I've like never taught a dog to heal until just a few months ago because I've never needed it for anything. But that way, if we're out on a walk and suddenly the dog gets too distracted, then we can stop the walk and kind of calm down by practicing those things that they're really good at. So I have a question because um, I feel like this doesn't make sense. What are you teaching them to do as far as respond to leash pressure? Oh, yeah. Um, so I have a couple videos on my TikTok and I don't know if I have them anywhere else of me doing this exercise. So what I do is I 
work inside and I make the leash pretty short, like about three feet or so. And I just give really light pressure on the leash um, in some direction. And it's not enough pressure to pull the dog, but it's like enough that they'll feel it. And then I either call them to me or lure them with a treat. So the pressure happens and then they get lured to go in that direction. Oh, okay. So So it's it's kind of like horses where like if you give a tug right and they are supposed to go right, you give a tug left, they go left. Yeah, I can't speak to that because I've never done that with horses. I've never worked with horses, but yeah, that sounds correct. Okay, but so you're Um, just teaching them that like the leash pressure means come over here. Yep, so I'm just teaching a cue. So yeah, the leash pressure is their cue to follow whatever direction they feel it in. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Cool. Um, So I don't always do that, and I'll give a for instance. So I just met a new client yesterday. They're older. They live in a retirement community, and they have a little five-month-old puppy, and I can tell that their walks with her are like the highlight of their day. And so in my mind, I'm like, if I can avoid having them stop their walks to work, I'm going to avoid it because they just love it. They love going out with their dog. And she's only five months old. She doesn't have a ton of bad habits. And she ended up being super attentive and would take treats even outside and was really distractible and everything. So because the situation was the way it was, I just didn't think it was very important to go back inside and start working there. So instead, we just worked on the walk that they're doing now and kind of improving it. So it depends on the situation. I don't always do that. And I would actually say like most of the time I end up not doing that. That's just kind of like the default in my head is that's what, how I would like to do things. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then at the end of the day, I think the most important thing is to treat the walk like a game. That's how I think of it. You can use whatever analogy you want, but I just, I want there to be very clear rules. And I want you to spend your your time teaching your dog the rules and then always enforce the rules. So one mistake that I see a lot is like, if one of your rules is no pulling, you'll let the dog get away with some pulling, like for a second or two, or like if it's light, you know, maybe they're not like tugging super hard, but they do put tension in the leash. So you just like let it go. So if there's a rule, you should always be enforcing that rule, even if the rule wasn't broken too much you know and that's to keep it clear for the dog it's not to just be an asshole it's to like literally communicate clearly with your dog about what the rules are well and really i mean if you're that clear and that consistent it's not going to keep coming up they're not going to keep pulling a little bit you know that's the whole point is the more consistent you are the more effective the training is exactly yep and then um just as a for instance about what rules might look like my rules for my dogs are they get the entire leash to do whatever they want. So I already know that my rules are different from Laura's rules because Laura doesn't like them to cross in front or walk right in front of her. So we have different rules from one another, but it's not like one of them is the correct way to do things. It's just how we like to walk our dogs. She'd prefer to not have them crossing and I don't really care. Um, so my rules for my dogs are you get the entire leash. You get to do whatever you want. If you stop and sniff, I'll stop with you. Um, but when I say let's go, then we have to go. Um, The dogs are not allowed to put tension in the leash. And if they walk right next to me, then my yummy treats come out. So those are the rules. And they're enforced differently with each of my dogs because each of my dogs finds different things rewarding. And then you might have different rules for your dogs depending on your preferences and your environment. Like if you live in a city, your rules will probably include a lot more healing. And if you live rurally, you might be using a long line and have rules around that. So one rule that I think every person can benefit from, and I know that Laura is going to talk about it, so I won't go too far into it, but it's that we can't start the walk unless the dog is calm. So with some dogs, before we can even start working on any leash manners, we need to work on staying calm through the leashing up process, going out the front door, etc. And I'm just going to stop here because if I get into all the different ways to do leash work, then I'll be here forever. So this feels like (laughs) as good a place as any to just stop. So like, for instance, one of the reasons that I don't allow dogs to cross over is so that when we're in busier places, um, they're not crossing over me to go say hi to people and dogs. So because you will, you allow them to cross over in that instance, would you just be using your heel and touch to keep them from doing that? Uh, so with Balto, it's not an issue. Um, with Mooney, he he's to the point where I guess I wouldn't call him reactive anymore, but I still just always put distance between me and whoever is whoever I see coming with their dog. So we don't run into it. Like at the at the point that we're crossing paths with another dog, he doesn't have his whole leash. Does that make sense? Okay, so they only have the full leash and can be walking in front of you when there's not 
people like distractions around. Yeah, but with Balto, he okay. can do whatever. He doesn't ever pull toward other dogs, even if he's allowed yeah. to. So it's not an issue. And then with Indy, we haven't graduated to like walking trails with dogs. So I don't know how I'm going to handle that with her yet. But well, anything to say about this, this garbage before we move on to your garbage? I don't think so. I mean, it's it's pretty different than mine, but like, I mean, it's essentially the same thing. Um, so you shorten their leash to pass people and then you're just trying to get their attention during that time. Because like my big thing is I don't let people shorten the leash because they're just going to pull against it. No, it depends on the dog. So um, if I'm doing leash work with a client, we get like this general, like the general leash rules done first, and then we can kind of work on if they have any triggers around dogs or whatever, then we kind of start working on that. But with my personal dogs, um, that's just my management for Mooney. And I'm not even totally sure that I need it anymore. I just do it. <laughs> um, yeah. Like if we see someone coming, I just shorten the leash, put him on the other side of me from wherever the dog is, and then just like walk past them and then let his leash go again. And he doesn't pull through that? Not always. Some dogs he does still kind of pull toward. Um, so that's why okay. I have to shorten his leash and keep him on the other side of me. But it totally depends on the dog. I don't know like what his uh, yeah. preferences are. but His preferences. That's funny. <laughs> like we have, I mean, most dogs react to Mooney. And so like he'll have dogs who are like barking at him. And he's like, oh, what? Is something happening? And he'll just like pass it with no problem. But then like some other dog, he'll randomly be like, uh, I have a problem with that. So I don't know. I don't know what his issue is. They, but. they were muttering under their breaths. he's like i prefer an aggressive person that's kind of how i am too like be aggressive but be honest (laughs) with me you know don't talk shit (laughs) i can respect it so that's how i do leash training and we'll take a break here when we get back we will go into how lara does leash training Margarita check, Laura. How is your, um, how's your shitty guava margarita? I wouldn't say shitty. Uh, per (laughs) usual, it's getting better as it goes on. (laughs) That tends Um, to happen. You know, it's weird. Yeah. Once you get over the initial tartness, it's pretty bum. Uh, how's yours? Your fancy ass bullshit with your guava rum. I like it. I'm happy with it. It's nothing special for sure, but it's good. It's kind of nice, though, like, if you're just sick of the classic and want, like, a little zhuzh, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, So, like Lily mentioned, leash training varies very much by individual dogs. Uh, We have kind of a general concept, but it's going to change with every client for the most part. Um, I have dogs that I do the exact opposite of what I would normally do because that's what seems to work for them. So it it very much depends. Uh, I think something that neither of us addressed is gear, right? Like neither one of us really gear doesn't come into it. Yeah. I mean, I would teach the same way no matter what gear was on them. I tend to go with the harness just because I feel like it's safe. But no matter what they're wearing, I would teach the same way, I think. But so like if you show up to a client's house and they walk their dog on a flat collar, do you recommend switching them to a harness or you just teach them in a flat collar? Uh, it depends. So um, if I show up and their dog like has a serious pulling problem, I'll suggest putting them in something else just because um, I don't want them to damage their neck or whatever. Um, but yeah. if they don't seem to be hurting themselves, then I don't really feel the need to switch out of a flat collar. I'm the same way. Uh, I don't really I'll make suggestions, but I don't really push equipment. So generally speaking, whatever they're in, I'm fine with keeping that. But uh, kind of like what she said, it depends on the dog. So I sh- my new client today, uh, she has two bullies. Neither one of them can walk on a leash at all. One of them pulls a shit ton and is super reactive. And the other one's a nine-month-old puppy that's not leash trained. So <laughs> it's, it's a disaster. Um, but she walks the puppy on a martingale which I'm fine with, whatever. Uh, but she walks the reactive puller on a back clip harness. And I, I didn't change them out of that equipment. We haven't started their leash training. We started just basics today. But 
So I, I pretty much just, I tell everyone and what I told her was like, I don't give a shit what they walk on. That's up to you. It was funny though, because she is a kind of a prime example of leash training because I showed up and she literally has a bag of like three different harnesses, a martingale, a flat collar, a prom <laughs> collar. Like she's tried everything. <laughs> and I'm like, yep. yeah, 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 you, you just, you just have to train them. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter what you use. <laughs> Which is something that we didn't say in this episode. We've said it in other episodes before, but like if you're putting equipment on your dog and the equipment changes your dog's behavior, you have not accomplished leash training. Um, mm-hmm. If that's what you want to do and that's what works for you, then great. But um, we have not leash trained your dog. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I basically said to her, like, we'll see when we start leash training if I have recommendations, but... As far as I'm concerned, whatever, if you have a preference, that's what we walk them on. I, re- I could really care less. Uh, I will say that I think leash training on a black clip harness is definitely a little bit more difficult for quite a few dogs. <laughs> Not all dogs. I have other clients that we could put their dog in any harness and they stop pulling immediately. Just like we were talking about in segment one with Brett and the prong collar, like whatever they have practiced pulling in is probably going to be the hardest thing to teach them in. Not that they can't learn in it, but they've got so much under their belt of knowing that they can pull in this equipment. So we just like it's different if you put something new on them, you know? Yeah. I mean, I have a little poodle mix that I walk. I've been walking for years. I had her in a slip lead for years and she would pull and choke her. Like literally one time I thought she was going to pass out. Like she just pulls so much and uh, same thing on her flat collar. And literally the second I switched her just to like a normal like vest style harness, she never pulled again. Like for no reason. so bizarre to me. (laughs) But like it's crazy how much. And then I have other dogs that like are significantly worse in the harness. And so it just, it totally depends. Like, and that's why I don't, uh, I'm not super particular about gear because I feel like it's, I mean, I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, we can try a harness. We could try a prom. We could try whatever you want to try. I I don't give a shit. It just depends on how they respond to it and how much control we have. But I'm not going to let your dog drag you down the fucking street. (laughs) Right. But yeah, I feel like equipment is always like the number one thing that comes up in leash training. So I don't know why we didn't put it in the outline. But disclaimer, it doesn't fucking matter. Because <laughs> yeah, normally I would say like, sure, if you don't want to do the work, put a prong collar on them. They'll stop pulling. But that's, even that's not true. Like, <laughs> Yeah. A lot, a lot of dogs that I know will pull through the prong collar. Yep. A lot of dogs I know will stop pulling the second you put the prong collar on them, too, though. So it's like, it, it just completely depends. There's no one size fit all for leash training. And for safety's sake, we should probably say, like, if you're going to, if you want to try to use something like a prong collar or a gentle leader, get the help of a professional to teach you how to do it correctly. Because those things used incorrectly could be unsafe for your dog. So I'll just throw that in. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, gentle leaders scare the shit out of me. Me too. I I use them. And they get recommended by so many people. I use them on occasion, don't get me wrong, but, like, they're terrifying how much they can fuck up your dog's, like, spine and neck. Yeah. Um, So currently my general protocol is to make sure that we have a calm leash-up process. So if I get the leash out and your dog goes ballistic, the leash goes right back up. So we do a calm leash-up. We do a sit-stay at the door with a calm release. I personally give the dogs a full six feet for the most part, at least to start. That will vary as we progress, depending. And then as long as we're, as you're not, as the dog's not pulling, we keep moving forward. If the dog pulls, we generally go back, calm down and try it again. Um, And again, it varies. (laughs) But so if your dog goes ballistic when you bring out the leash, then that's where we're going to start. So that even if I pull out the leash and your dog goes ballistic, then we're going to wait until they can calm down. If I clip the leash and they go ballistic again, then we're going to wait until they calm down again. So the leash up process can be, you know, 10, 15 minutes, depending on how ballistic your dog goes. Um, But the big thing that I always tell everybody is like, if we lose your dog the second that they see the leash, we're certainly not going to gain their attention back outside. (laughs) Yeah. And then we always do a sit, stay at the front door to exit the house calmly. 
Because, yeah, again, if you lose your dog's focus inside, we're not going to gain it outside when they're, when, I mean, as soon as we step out the front door, we're literally competing with the entire world, right? Like, yeah, as much as I think of myself, I'm just never going to be as exciting as the whole world. (laughs) (laughs) it, It hurts me to admit it, but, you know. Yeah, unless they have a personal preference or it's a reactive dog, I really don't teach heel, mostly because it's a fucking pain in the ass to teach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's definitely one of the harder things to teach. And unless they're reactive, I mean, I really don't see a need for it. I use it for reactivity because then we use body blocking and stuff like that. God damn it, there it is again. Now I'm going to freak out every time I say and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> So something that I didn't think of, um, but that has come up a few times for me recently is um, my clients who live in cities like Chicago or New York really want the heel for like sidewalk walking. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And so if in a lot of clients, I don't know if that's just what people think their dog is supposed to do, but I I have clients ask for a heel almost every time. Yep. Almost every time. And I'm like, what do you want to heal for? And they're like, I I don't know. Isn't that just how they're supposed to walk? And I'm like, hey, man, if you want that, sure. But like, that's, I mean, it's up to you. You're the one that has to do the work. So, (laughs) Um, so yeah, I don't really teach a heel too much. But otherwise, as long as you're not pulling, as long as the dog is not pulling and they are responsive to me, I don't really give a shit what they're doing. Obviously, there's rules within that, but. I mean, if you're not pulling and you're not reactive, I don't see any reason why you can't have six feet to kind of explore as we walk. So can I insert a question here? And I didn't read through what you wrote, so maybe you actually address this. (laughs) No. No. Um, But something that uh, I'm interested in, like for every trainer, like I want to hear how people deal with this, is like dogs who pull off to the sides. Like, what if the dog is pulling, like, straight to your side, you know, to, like, go sniff something over to your right or whatever? Um, so, for me, it doesn't matter what direction that they're pulling. Um, whether they're, If they're pulling right, then I go left. If they're pulling left, I go right. If they're pulling forward, I go backwards. So, you um, just go opposite of wherever they're yep. going. Okay. Yep. Because, yeah, that comes up a lot, especially in the suburbs, because they're usually, like, on the right is all the bushes and stuff to pee on, right? So... <laughs> and if yep. your dog demands that and is super rude about it and interrupts the rhythm of your walk, then they get put on the left until they can chill their shit. But yeah, after that point, once we get over the like basics of like leaving the house calmly and stuff like that, that's where it really gets tricky because that's where it really gets uh, individualized. So it's kind of hard to say what happens next um, because most dogs don't walk the same on a walk, right? Like, but... Um, just as a, for instance, if I start, if I release them out the front door and they release too quickly, then we're going to walk back in. We're not going to do the sit stay again, but we're going to walk back in and walk back out until they can walk back out calmly. And then if the dog starts pulling down the entryway, I'm going to go right back to the front door and try again until they can walk down the entryway calmly. (laughs) Um, if they start pulling down the driveway, same thing. I'm going to go back up the driveway until they can walk down the driveway calmly. And... The problem that I have with this is not that it doesn't work. It absolutely works. But in order for it to work, you have to be very consistent and it takes a long time. And it's very difficult to get clients to do it. Mm -hmm. Because they don't want to go up and down the driveway six times until their dog chills out. So, like, it's kind of the, the trainer that taught me, Danny has kind of a translation problem with a lot of clients because he does really long sessions that are really intense and it's just hard to retain that much information for the average person, right? So it's kind of the same thing where it's like, it's really hard to get clients to just dedicate to, hey, if you only make it down the street, who gives a shit? (laughs) Yeah. I would rather have a great walk down the street than to go around the block and fight the whole time, right? Yeah. And even though it makes, it's super logical and it makes a ton of sense. The reality is most of your clients aren't going to do it and then they're going to fail and then either they're not going to like you or they're going to give up. It's a really good method for the dog. (laughs) It's not a great method for the clients is what I'm coming to find out. (laughs) And I I think I just worked with Danny enough that I I could give a shit about distance and how many times I walk up and down a driveway because it's just been drilled into my brain. (laughs) But yeah. 
Um, it's I'm, I'm having some trouble having it translate to clients for sure. So I'm definitely going to be changing that somewhat soon in some way. I'm interested um, to hear what you change it to because like without that consistency and the repetition and everything, like I don't know what you would do. Exactly. But like I can't make people go up and down the driveway 12 times when I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Because what I'm noticing happens is that like when I'm there, we have a great walk because I sit there and I make them go up the driveway 12 times. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I come back and they're like, oh, yeah, it's not going very well. And I'm like, well, how many times did you go back and forth? Well, maybe like two. And it's like, <laughs> well. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's not the methodology is wrong. It's that it, it's it's really tough to have clients do because it's the same thing as like we talked about in previous episodes where like saying a command and just waiting people can't do that they don't want to stand there and do nothing right it's the same thing they're so stuck on going for a walk going for a walk and it's just like the psychology of being a dumbass human i guess yeah (laughs) it's 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 very difficult to get the distance out of your head and just go back and forth until they can calmly go forward like it just doesn't translate very well i mean some of my clients it translates to and it's great but even then, like, there's some pitfalls and stuff like that. So um, I'm working on it. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see where it gets us. But, like, whatever you let your dog practice, that's how the walk is going to go in the yeah. future. Like, I don't know why you think you're getting any training done if you only turn around twice and then you just start going while your dog is still pulling. Like, what do you think you're accomplishing? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, so I do a gentle kind of tug and release on the leash as sort of a reminder of, like, hey, you need to slow down. And then if I have to do that more than three times, that's usually when we go back. That And that's the other thing that doesn't translate. We're not going back a set amount of space. And then going back, we're going back until they calm down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, might, that might be five feet. That might be the block. I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and that, again, is really hard for clients to translate. Yeah. Because they're, like... They end up just going back like 10 feet and then turning around regardless of what the dog's doing. And I'm like, no, (laughs) that's that's not going to work. The amount of times Um, that I've seen someone like walk backwards and their dog is still facing the other way and just kind of uh backing up toward them. And then they just start start going again. And I'm like, what? Every time. (laughs) Um, And the other thing, too, and this is why it's so uh, dog specific of what you're going to do is is certain dogs that are really smart preempt it and they're like oh okay if i walk with you you'll immediately turn around and then i can go right back yeah i think mooney mooney was one of those dogs right where he was like oh okay i have to go back five feet and then i can go back to what i was doing (laughs) and and like no matter what rule i give him so like i started implementing like okay well then you have to come and sit and then you have to come and give me eye contact or whatever and like no matter what it is he'll come and put his butt on the ground for a second and then start again and i'm like no (laughs) come back here put your butt on the ground (laughs) (laughs) so yeah there are definitely a lot of pitfalls which is where i'm kind of messing around with how to change the method to just translate a little bit better but also again it just depends on the dog and what is going to be most communicative to them because like i said there's certain dogs i put a harness on problem solved there's certain dogs i take out of a harness problem solved (laughs) like so it just it totally depends i've been doing a lot of recall on leash lately so especially if we want to eventually work on a heel, uh, we want to be having them pay more attention on a leash. So regardless of pulling, if we're walking down, we'll just call their name. And until they respond to us, we keep calling their name. And if they don't respond after a little bit, then we stop until they come back to us and acknowledge us. Some of the general rules that I have, which I feel like comes up a lot with clients, is giving the dog their full leash almost every client I would say tries to force a heel and just keeps their leash in a heel position uh and I'm like bro your dog can't walk with six feet of leash why why would it be able to walk with three feet of leash (laughs) um so I uh, 90 times a day I say just hold the handle just hold the handle (laughs) yeah because to me they need to know where the end of the leash is before we can start asking for anything more so again if they can't pull if they can't stop pulling when they have six feet of space, why why in the world would you shorten it? 
But then also, like, with just that three feet of leash, they don't really have any opportunities to be correct. Like, with six feet of leash, you have, like, that whole six feet where they're correct for most of the time, and then they can get rewarded with that forward progress. Yeah, and that's, I mean, most of my clients, I could turn it into an inspirational poster. Oh, he walks in a heel the whole walk, and it's like, no, you only give him three feet of leash, so he can't physically walk anywhere else, but he does not know a heel. Right. (laughs) So even when they have a full six feet, I'm still pretty picky uh, about positioning. I don't like them walking in front of me. I don't like them zigzagging. Um, Even if you're six feet out, if I put you on my left, you're staying on my left. If I put you on my right, you're staying on my right. And we generally do that because we don't want them pulling towards people or dogs or whatever it is. Obviously, they have free time as well. It's not like a militant walk. But uh, if I put you on the right, then yeah, if there's bushes on the right, have a good time. But if there's bushes on the right and I put you on the left, you're not going to the bushes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And everyone's like, oh, well, how do you do that when they're six feet away from me? It's pretty fucking easy, man. You you still have them on a leash. Right. (laughs) It's that same leash pressure of if they start to go right, I just give them that little tug and release to stay left. And if they don't listen, we go back. And I do that mostly just for, like, self-control. Most of my clients are reactive, so we're usually building up to a heel and building up to ignoring whatever we're working around. So I guess if a dog wasn't reactive, I would be less strict about that. But I think it's just a good rule, because especially, I mean, there's always shit going on, right? Whether it's a person that you're passing or chicken bone on the ground. Like, I just don't want my dog to learn that it can go wherever he wants, even on leash. So... And then, um, so things just keep popping up that I feel like, oh, this should, this, we should probably address this. So one of the things that I see a lot is like when you, um, when you instruct someone to turn around, they'll either, they'll go to like two polar ends. So either they'll turn around if the dog doesn't want to go, so they'll just stop and wait for the dog. And then the other one is they'll just start dragging their dog down the street. <laughs> um, so we should kind of like address what it means to turn around on a walk. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, I've never had anyone drag their dog. Um, (laughs) I've only had everybody hesitate and wait. And I'm always like, do not fucking wait for them. Go. Yep. Not very often. I've had it happen maybe once, but not very often will a dog let you drag them. Either they give up and start walking or the person stops. But I don't, I don't, I would think maybe I've had that happen once or twice because that's everybody I'm like, nope, go back. They're being too much. And every time they like turn around and they're like, come on. And they hesitate. And I'm like, do not fucking ask them and do not fucking wait for them. You are turning around. Go. And every time they're like, oh, well, I don't want to pull. And I'm like, I guarantee you, if you turn around with authority and start walking, they will catch on very quickly. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, so worried about it. And I'm like, you hesitating is why they know that they can stay behind. Yeah. If you just go, they're going to go with you. At most, they might drag for like a second or two. But even that doesn't happen very often if you do it correctly. Yeah. (laughs) Because again, the same thing is like segment one. If you get excited, they get excited. If you say, oh shit, we're going this way. They're going to be like, oh shit, we're going this way. (laughs) Right. They're not going to generate. I mean, if you do it where you're like, um, I'm going to go this way. Then they're like, no, I'm not. But if you're like, hey, see ya. They're going to go with you every single time. And that's pretty universal regardless of the dog. Because even stubborn ass dogs, if you're like, peace out, I don't give a shit what you do. I'm leaving. And they're like, oh shit. All right. I'm going. I'm coming with you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's just a matter of like intention. And if you're worried about it, they're going to pick up on that. And if you hesitate, they're going to pick up on that. But if you just peace out, I guarantee you they will go with you every time. Yep. I, have you had, uh, you've had clients drive? I've never had a dog I, drag. I had, I've had it happen once. Um, it was with a dog who pancaked. Mm. Um, and That's so then we different. had to talk about like how to work through pancaking. That does not happen often. But no, it's pretty rare. Yeah. Were they pancaking out of fear or? No. Uh, just, <laughs> they were okay. like, I am not going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, that's pretty rare. Because fear dogs are totally different. This is not generally how you would least train a fear dog either. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so many caveats. We could be here all day. I think that's why it was so hard to break up. Because it's like, 
I'd, literally every dog is different. Yeah. <laughs> Which, sorry, listeners, I know that doesn't help you. <laughs> yep. But, I mean, if you're working on it at all, that's half the battle, so. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, even some of the rules that we talked about were, like, like what we just talked about, like turning around and then just like going, going. I have some clients that I have to say, I want you to pretend that this leash isn't even here because they will just use the leash to maneuver the dog around. So I'm like, okay, I want you to rely on like your voice and, you know, like your relationship or whatever, rather than just like, because your dog isn't learning anything. If like every time they move, it's because you moved them with the leash, right? So it, like, it totally depends yeah. on the client. Like for most people, I would say like, we're just going to walk and your dog's just got to go with you. But for some people, I'm like, y- you got to cool it. Like your dog is not making any choices and is not learning anything, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's actually a really good point is, like, not only is it individualized to every dog, but it's also very much the client because, like, if your client is, like, super into it and has a lot of patience and wants to learn, that's one thing. But nine times out of ten, I have a husband and a wife and it's, like, one of them is in, one of them doesn't give a shit. Right. (laughs) So, I mean, that completely changes things, too, right? So, I mean... That if, if you think dog training is a dog-related business, you're very fucking wrong. Uh. Yeah. If you're uh. not, um, I mean, neither of us are really people, people persons, I guess. But, like, if you're not in it to be, like, a people trainer, then you're in the wrong business. <laughs> I like to think that we're dog people enough to pretend to be people people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep. I'll pretend to care about you because I like your dog. <laughs> exactly. Yep. No offense to all of our clients. Uh, (laughs) A lot of my clients I genuinely like because if I didn't, I would just fire them. Yeah, it's definitely a people business, which had I known, I wouldn't have done it. (laughs) (laughs) But here we are. But here we are. Yeah, I think that's it as far as, I think we did a pretty good, I mean, your training is pretty different than mine. So I feel like that's a, a kind of an expansive look at it. Yeah, so it kind of gives you, like, a variety of things that you can try at home and see what works for you, you know? And if you have specific leash training questions, you can send them to us. Yeah. We love us a Q&A, man. We sure do. (laughs) So that is how Laura does leash work. And then we also kind of sprinkled in some just general things that we remembered that you might want to know. And we'll take a break here. And when we get back, we are going to continue our Q&A from segment one. Final margarita check. How is it? How's it going? <laughs> You're dancing. Um, no, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I'm like 1.25 margaritas in. Feeling pretty good. It gets more and more delicious every sip I take. I like it. I, I'm going to up it from a five shot to a 6.5. Oh, okay. This is why we have to... This is why we have to rate things in the beginning, because once you're a little drunk, it's like, oh, no, it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Best margarita I ever had. (laughs) How's yours? I'm still, I'm so intrigued by the rum tequila combo. I think I did it last time or the time before, and it was confusing to me in theory, but it tasted great. Yeah, it's, it's really good. I mean, it's a, it's a flavored rum. So it's like, it's like a liqueur. It's less alcohol per ounce or whatever it is, you know? Um, yeah, but flavored liquor is kind of my jam in certain, uh, only with rum, really, because flavored vodka is gross to me, but. Yeah, I, I really like it. It's good. I'm happy with it. All right. What did you rate yours at? A five? Five uh, or a six? A five or a six. Yeah. It's, and. Right. The way that I feel about it is, like, it is good, but it's just not special. You know? That's all. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It needs it needs some zhuzh. Yeah. All right. So, the second part of our Q&A from the Patch Pups was he touched on, in the beginning, rescuing versus buying a dog that is health tested. Uh, I'm assuming that she means, how do you feel about that as well? So that's yeah. what we answer. 
Yeah, so I actually did reach out to Caitlin um, just to make sure I understood her question. And yeah, she just thought it was something that would be interesting to hear our take on. Um, So it wasn't like anything more specific than what she said. And this topic could probably take up a whole entire episode, but we'll, we're just going to do a segment on it. We'll try to keep it brief. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't remember what episode it was. It was like episode two or three or something really early, but I think we did a whole episode on rescuing versus buying, right? Yeah. uh, Well, we did how to pick your next dog. So it was like part of that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like we've talked about it quite a bit. But I'll just say again, because I've had it also come up multiple times with I've had some new clients lately, obviously. Uh, and I've had multiple new clients be like, well, I bought him. <laughs> like, right. Cover their face. And I'm like, no, I'm not against breeders. Like, because I think, too, when people refer me, they're like, oh, yeah, she rescues and she does bullies and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I do. But like. I, I support responsible breeders. Unfortunately, they are very few and far between. Uh, and it's very easy to get duped to thinking yeah. that they are a responsible breeder. And there's just a lot of debate within that as to what qualifies. And I think as far as pet dogs go, it is very hilarious to me that people spend spend thousands and thousands of dollars for a dog without a purpose. But, you know, do what you will. Um, I don't think anybody can make that call other than that person. Um, I have a new client that is a purebred lab from a supposed responsible breeder that has a ton of health issues. So, I mean, it's just a pet dog. Like, why do you need to go spend $3,000 on a purebred pet? Like, it's just your pet dog. What, what the fuck do you care if it's paper? Like, I don't get it at all. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> If you're not going to do anything with the papers, why the fuck do you need them? Like, I don't, I guess because the breed that I'm into isn't a paper type thing. Maybe that's why I don't get it. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I understand breed preferences a little bit, but like, even that, I'm like, I I don't, I don't really get it. (laughs) Yeah. But that being said, I do fully understand wanting to purchase a dog to have some guarantees. Not so much as far as, like, breed and stuff like that, but as far as having health-tested parents, being somewhat sure that they're not going to have this, that, the other, and being somewhat sure of their temperament. Like, that I get 100%, because, like, right now, I don't have a test dog anymore, and that's really fucking difficult. (laughs) Obviously, I know enough to rescue a dog and make sure that whatever dog I rescue is going to have the temperament that I need, Uh, but even that's a crapshoot, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, I just don't ever want to raise another puppy, so I'm stuck. But (laughs) I keep thinking about it. I'm like, maybe I should, like, get a a well-bred puppy and, like, have a bomb-ass test dog. And then I'm like, no. (laughs) I would not, like, want to talk to you for, like, a whole year. (laughs) No. I fucking hate puppies. I hate them. I don't want to raise, like, no, I do not want to raise a puppy ever, ever again. <laughs> I just don't want to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from my personal standpoint, I think as a pet, it's unnecessary. I think if you want to do something like agility or show or blah, 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 then hell yeah, have a good time. I think as a pet, it's a little bit ridiculous, but I'm not opposed to it. There it is. <laughs> There it Lily is. knows a lot more about breeders than I do, though, so. Uh, I'm not totally convinced that I do. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the farther that you get into it, the more you learn, really. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I'm still at a point where, like, the farther I get into it, I'm still learning new things. So I don't know, like, at what point you finally know everything. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I can identify with a lot of, like, what I would now consider to be silly ideas that people have about dogs because it was pretty recently that I was – I had those like silly ideas too. Like I was always a person who said it's all how they're raised. And I thought that no kill shelters were better than other shelters. And I can seriously identify with the person who feels like breeding in general is unethical because I was that person. And when you come into the dog world, you tend to believe what you're told by the people around you until you learn on your own. And since I started in a shelter, I learned from like the other shelter volunteers that rescue is the only ethical way to get an animal and all breeders are bad. And so I'll just say... 
If you're starting in a shelter, I promise that all of the other volunteers are just as dumb as you are. They're just more confident about it. So do your own research. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like the more confident they are, the dumber they are. A hundred percent. If they're convinced that they know everything, then they definitely don't. Uh-huh. Um, so if someone had told me back then that the only way to solve the issue of homeless dogs was through responsible breeding, I would have said like, well, yeah, but let's focus on rescue first and get that like taken care of and then go back to focusing on responsible breeding. But the thing is, we really can't have responsible breeding in the future unless we have it now, because those responsibly bred dogs aren't just going to pop out of the dirt, like ready to continue their responsibly bred lines if we like don't let breeders do that work right now. So it's work that does need to be done now. Or else it can't be done later after like the homeless crisis is quote unquote solved, which it never will be like just FYI. But um, (laughs) (laughs) but we touched on this a little bit in our episode about how to pick your next dog. But it bears repeating. Laura and I are both pro rescue and pro breeder. We're pro dog. So we want those things to be done responsibly. And if every rescue and every breeder takes their dogs back that's when we won't have homeless pets anymore or homeless dogs. That's the way forward. So whatever works best for you and your lifestyle, I say adopt or shop, but just do it responsibly. Yeah, I mean, I think more so than responsible breeding being what helps us, I think shutting down irresponsible breeding is what's going to help us more than anything. Because to me, the responsible breeders are just in a different universe, right? Like they never have anything to do with the rescues. Yeah. Uh, or the shelters, whereas the irresponsible breeders all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to me, it's more about regulations and enforcement of those regulations. So like Vegas has a spay and neuter law that is not enforced in any way. Uh, that's a big problem. They have breeding licenses that anybody can get. That's a problem. <laughs> and I, I don't know how to fix that, uh, honestly. I mean, there's no way for them to get enough of a budget to enforce it well. And even if there were, there's it's hard to enforce, right? Because what are the what are the standards for that? I mean, obviously, we would say everybody has to the parents have to be health tested and blah blah blah. But it's like, well, how the hell do you enforce that? Right. right? Like, <laughs> so I mean, that's part of why it'll never be solved because it's just a, a vicious cycle of like, well, how do you do this and how do you do that? How do you enforce that and how do you get the budget for that and blah blah blah. But yeah, I think spay and neuter is definitely a huge part of it. And then shutting down bad breeders. I mean, as a rescue person, I come in contact with bad breeders pretty fucking regularly. (laughs) Recently, a friend got a shepherd puppy from a bad breeder. And this breeder, I mean, I checked out. I got referrals. We did all of our due diligence and we still got screwed. We have a ton of dogs. Um, We get litters of puppies from bad breeders. We get blind cane corso puppies from a breeder that three of the puppies were blind and she couldn't sell them. So she dropped them off. (laughs) And it's like, this person is dropping off puppies to a shelter, but there's never going to be a animal control is still not going to go to her house and shut her down. Right. Or for all we know, she has a breeding license because there's nothing to get a breeding license that says you have to be AKC or you have to be inspected or blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just, it's a never-ending problem. (laughs) Um, But yeah, in in short, I think it's kind of like behavior youth in the sense that nobody can make that decision for you except for you. But the more people who are like, armed with knowledge about what's responsible, you know, then the less money hopefully is going into those bad breeders and they get shut down through power of demand, you know? Yep. Um, I don't see that ever happening, but like, it's kind of all we can hope for at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and honestly, that's one of the reasons just because the person that asked this question is a doodle person too. But like, that's one of the reasons that I hate doodles so much is because it's next to impossible to find a good doodle breeder. Uh, I mean, Bungie's as good as it gets, I feel like. But, like, I found another doodle breeder in Las Vegas the other day. And it's just some random... They have two litters at all times. They don't ever sell all their puppies. Like, it's just a fuck... Like, and it's just... I think I told you last time there was this doodle that was out of control on the hiking trail that I was on. And I heard the girl say, like, oh, my grandma's gonna breed him. Yeah. And I'm like, this. these are the doodles Wait, I that I thought it was a husky. Getting. No, it was a black doodle. It was with a husky, maybe? 
Oh no, the husky was in. Oh, your the store. husky. The husky yeah, was that's yesterday. Right. That's yeah. right. That was a different one. Huskies are the same problem, though. Yeah. Um, where there are a half a dozen huskies in the shelter every single day right now, and people are still just breeding them because they're the popular breed right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's like certain breeds, like doodle. It's not. I mean, I could give a shit about a doodle in and of itself, but because of the trend that it's setting and the overpopulation that it's setting, that's why I hate them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't even know enough doodles to hate them because I avoid them. <laughs> Uh, but it's the exact same thing with huskies because they're super popular. And now everybody that has a husky is breeding them and selling them. And blah, blah. and it's the same. It, I mean, that's how pit bulls got to where they are, too. It's the same exact fucking problem. That's why there's so many pit bulls in shelters. And now American bullies are starting to be in shelters because we have the spay and neuter law, but it's not enforced. But if your dog gets picked up, you can't reclaim it until it's spayed and neutered. And if they spay and neuter your bully, you don't want it back. Yeah. Because now it's useless to you. So, yeah, I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. But in theory, yes, it's up to you what you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is another one of those situations where I feel like if we talk any more about it, it's going yeah. to turn into another hour. So this is probably yep. a good place to wrap up. <laughs> L- Lily never wants to edit like she has to had to edit the last episode. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, the muzzle episode will live in infamy. I hated it. Um, and also because like so I feel like the Houston episode is going to be um, more fun to edit because like it was more content heavy. But the muzzle episode was like us just repeating ourselves and like just being <laughs> fucking drunk. And it was just so annoying to edit that out. We were so drunk. We were so drunk. <laughs> Even listening to it, I was like, man. Yep. <laughs> I did not realize how drunk I was. <laughs> Okay, so to avoid that situation, um, I think that about wraps it up. Our 27th episode is ready to be let out of the kennel. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at MissTheLeastDogs or on my website, MissTheLeastDogs.com or my online training platform, Patreon.com slash MissLilliesDogs. You can find me on Instagram at ProperPuppersLV and my website, ProperPuppersLV.com. And we'll see you next time because we have no idea what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, see you next time on the Doggeritaville podcast. Thanks for listening to Doggeritaville. Send us an email at doggeritaville at gmail.com or send us a DM on Instagram at doggeritaville. And let us know if there are any topics you'd like to see covered. Or if there are any margaritas you want us to try. And don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time, give your dog a treat from us. <laughs>